Good morning again. Well, judge not that you be not judged. Finally, a sermon I can get behind and start pointing some fingers that, that have finally, that have been waiting to be pointed <laughs> and deal with the judgmental attitude rife in this place. <clears throat> no, not at all. Uh, let's spend some time praying as we come before this word. Heavenly Father, we give thanks, Lord, again, for the opportunity to be able to hear your truth. Lord, a word that cuts through all the lies, all the misdirections, Lord, all the foul and twisted beliefs that, Lord, are constantly uh, being thrown our way. Lord, by our own hearts and by the evil one. We pray, Father, that as we hear your word, we would hear it in the authority that it is supposed to be heard. As our life, as the way we are to live, as the way we have received life. As the word of our Lord and our King. And Father, we pray this morning, just as we hear... Lord, another thing that comes up, another word that comes up against those difficult lies we've learnt, listened to for so long and been shaped around for so long, Father, and the pain that can come with, with hearing your word at times, Father, I pray that you would make it so much sweeter with the knowledge of what we gain with Christ, that we would happily and willingly follow you. I pray that you, we would hear you speaking this morning, Lord. Quieten our minds, give us the focus that we need. Let's not be distracted, Father, but just to be able to hear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would be surprised <coughs> if many of us here hadn't really heard the words that our verses start off with this morning. Those words, judge not. Uh, I particularly like my version, not my personal version, but the New King James Version. Judge not that ye be not judged. It seems to hold a certain grandeur to it and something that uh, we've heard often. It falls into those, that special category of verses that seems to have gone beyond the church where people were able to quote a small piece of the Bible back to you whenever you have a word to say to them that maybe they don't want to hear. Don't you? Aren't you a Christian? Don't you know that it says, judge not, lest you be not judged? I suspect I've even used it this way against my own parents at times. We can also use it to avoid or as an excuse to hide from necessary confrontation at times. Yes, Jimmy is doing the wrong thing, but we're all sinners. So really, should I say anything to him? Judge not and all that. Perhaps you've heard it something similar to that yourself. Would it surprise you to know then that Jesus' words here in Matthew are not an instruction to stop judging one another. Instead, he's providing his disciples with an instruction in how to judge one another well. 
There are places in scripture where the church is given commands to judge one another. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13, Paul encourages the church to actively judge those that are calling themselves Christian and who are actively and intentionally participating in sin. Those who would be called sexually immoral, greedy, idolaters, revelers, drunkards, robbers, and then to remove them from the church. Our passage from Galatians says that uh, this morning that we are encouraged to detect those that are in transgressions within the family of God. How can such a thing be done if we are not watching, listening, or paying attention to one another with a discerning mind? Even as we have spent time listening to Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, we have been called to judge ourselves in the light of God's law. And we have been found to be in a people of deep need for the righteousness of Christ. Jesus himself is called the judge. And we will one day stand before his judgment seat, holding either our own tissue paper righteousness or the bulwark righteousness of his own of himself the act of judgment is not the problem that jesus is pointing at in fact it's a necessary tool that the church uses to keep the wolves out to keep the flock safe and to restore those who have been lost to sin so the problem isn't judgment It's that we do it quite badly. There are two ways that Jesus tells us how to judge one another, but two ways also that we have been given. The first is that we have been given God's law. This week, Catherine, Ella and I, the hat trick, had optometrist appointments. We took our turns having the backs of our eyes photographed, that small puff of air straight into your eye and then reading increasingly small letters as the different lenses are placed in front of you. Isn't it incredible that through a combination of tests and measurements, they can tell not only if you need glasses, but the health of your eye. How thick the wall of your eye is at the back. It's astounding. What they don't do, though, is make those measurements up on the spot. Would you go to an optometrist, a doctor or a surgeon if they diagnosed patients and operated according to their own personal preference or guesswork, whims of fancy? I wonder if you've heard Dr. Nick's song while operating on Homer Simpson's heart. The knee bones connected to the something, the something's connected to the red thing and the red thing's connected to my wristwatch. This is not the doctor you want, is it? What you want is someone that knows what the red thing is supposed to be connected to. To give you an accurate diagnosis and help, a helpful prescription. We want people in charge who know what in the world they are doing and to be measuring correctly. Now, if that's true for our bodies... 
don't we want the same for our lives? If someone is to diagnose us and to help us with our sin, don't we want someone who knows how to measure, that uses the right measurements? Only a few weeks ago, we started this piece of scripture focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. And after the Beatitudes, what did Jesus speak on to diagnose the human condition? But the law of God. He addressed murder and lust and divorce and oaths and more. The measuring tape of God's righteousness. Used to correctly identify where we are sick in our sin before him. The example Jesus uses in this morning's passage is the picking out of a speck of dirt out of someone else's eye. That's delicate work. The last thing I would want to hear while in the surgeon's chair is, ah, I think I see the speck. It's that big black spot in the middle, surrounded by blue and green. I'll just get the tweezers. Followed by the words, whoops. Not what you want to hear. How much more delicate should we be when judging the presence of sin in a brother or sister's life? How much more damage might we cause if we do it incorrectly? How many people here have felt or seen the sting of poorly executed judgment? How many of us have incidentally caused that sting in our loved ones with good intentions in mind, but bad measurements in hand? Here, Jesus reminds us that it is with God's law alone that we can identify sin. It is the only correct set of measurements that can do so. Anything else is guesswork, built up out of personal preferences and our own weakness. Now, if we think about it, it doesn't take long to identify some of those personal standards of holiness that we hold others up to. Only this week, I found myself doing exactly this. We were out to dinner with family and the entrees came out. I counted the people. I counted the entrees. There was just enough for everyone to have one piece each. And yet, even as we sat there, I watched diligently. Everyone take their piece. They're serving with quick eyes, particularly for my brothers-in-law. Watching, waiting, anticipating an infringement upon my invisible law. (laughs) Ready to silently mark their sins in mind. And we laugh, but I was very diligent. And I think we can probably all say that we've done similar things in the past. Rules of fairness that we would mark against people. That's a personal preference, not a sin. It's not an 11th commandment on the distribution of entrees. In the church of Corinth, there was an argument over the consumption of meat offered to idols. Can we eat it or not? 
Paul said, you are at liberty to eat that meat. And you're at liberty not to. It's a matter of conscience. And yet, I would guarantee that fingers would have been pointed. I can't believe he ate that. And he calls himself a Christian. Again, there was liberty there, not law. It's not just that God's law is laid aside in these moments, but it is usurped by the law of men. How sad it is when we forbid what God would give us liberty in. When we damn where God would save, where we seek to rule when he seeks to serve. It dismisses the law of God as our authority. And this is the act of pride that Jesus said, says will be held against us, measured against us. But we've been given a wonderful gift in the law of God. Again, as has been said so many times in the last few weeks, Jesus says at the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount that he has come not to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Secondly, we have been given the grace of God. With the measurements that the law of God gives us, we may be able to identify sin within another's heart. But before doing so, we must look to our own. Christ's example again is that of one brother picking a speck out of another. He's receiving help from another man, but that man has a log in his eye. Now this image, of course, is entirely absurd, something that you would expect to see in Looney Tunes, not in real life. How in the world could a man with a log in his eye possibly be of any help to anyone, let alone the delicate work of picking out a speck from somebody else's eye? It's delicate work. As we as he is likely to cause really more damage in this scenario than help. And why would he care, I wonder, about a speck in a brother's eye when he has a log in his own? We must wonder where in the mind his where in the world his mind and his heart is to think that he is the man that is set for this job that would be of any help to this other person. Now, the point Jesus is making is not hard for us to see or to understand. What help can we offer brothers and sisters in their struggle with sin if we refuse to do so ourselves? How can we call them to a standard, to stand, sorry, before the law of God when we refuse to stand ourselves? out of a belief, really, that there's nothing wrong with us. There is no sin that must be dealt with in my heart, or it's already been done. Isn't this the heart of a man with a log in his eye? That there's nothing wrong with me. 
We cannot be of any help while caught up in what Jesus says is hypocrisy. Hypocrite, he says. Galatians said that we should seek to restore those that are found in sin with a spirit of gentleness, to bear one another's burdens. But a heart of hypocrisy doesn't lead to gentleness. It leads to harsh words. It leads to a harsh attitude and action, to caring for people with callous and false expectations Rather than seeking to take up a brother's burden, we see that brother with a speck in his eye as the burden that needs to be cast off. So Jesus says, first before attempting to help anyone, remove the plank from your own eye. Then and only then will you see clearly enough to be able to help that brother. How do we do this? Again, the Sermon on the Mount has helped us do this already, hasn't it? Jesus has a method to the order in which he teaches. Again, as I've already said, after the Beatitudes, Jesus speaks on that wonderful law of God. We are held up to hold ourselves up to it. He spoke on murder, but not just murder, on anger. Not just adultery, but lust, the weight of divorce, unbreakable oaths, the love of an enemy. This, God's measuring stick of righteousness. And when we did that, who here could remain standing before the Lord saying that I am righteous? Who could say that they were blameless after hearing those words? No one. No one but Christ. We are humbled before God's righteous demand. Before his call on a holy life, there is no space for us to be hypocrites. But if we stopped the process there, humbled as we are, the log would remain. Sin would simply be revealed and not dealt with in our eyes. For we need Christ, don't we? The one who has fulfilled the law's every need, who is perfect in his righteousness, to operate upon the log that we have in our eye. Christ, who has every right to look at a sinner like Nat Mills. And the logs that sit in my eyes and do nothing. And yet, he doesn't. Instead, what does he do? Well, we see that spirit of gentleness by which we are restored to our family, that heart that gets down and takes up the burdens of others. And it is called the law of Christ. His heart is to take other people up, to restore them. 
It is his grace to us, his humility, his love. He doesn't use man-made laws to measure us, but God's. He doesn't have his own personal preferences, but it has instead. Uh, He doesn't have harsh words either, or hypocrisy, or callous expectations, but an invitation instead to give to us that he might take upon uh, himself our burdens because his heart is gentle and it's lowly. And this is what we are to remember before approaching somebody else. And it's what we are to continue in as we seek to help our family of faith to pursue righteousness. To remember the grace that has been bestowed upon our own weakness. I heard it said once that I am just a beggar telling another beggar where to get some bread. The the cure of that hypocritical heart is the grace that has been given to us. And if we have seen a portion, even a portion of that wonderful work of Jesus in removing that sin from us, how might that change our approach to a brother with a speck in his eye? It gives us a wonderful perspective. Yes, brother, a speck of sin is a terrible thing, but you should have seen what came out of my eye. And having meditated on Christ's own dealing with us in that love and patience and much suffering on our behalf, we might be moved to do the same for one another. And in this way, judgment has a great role in the body of Christ so long as it is coupled with the heart of Christ, his law. While we must be wary of the misuse of judgment, that shouldn't stop us from seeking to use it to keep one another accountable before the Lord within the heart of his Son. Too often I think we remain silent when we see sin in one another and distant from one another. When we see a speck or even a log in someone else's eye, perhaps out of fear of causing damage, of misjudging, out of fear of losing a friend, of losing family, from the sting that the rebuke often brings. Even even when it's done gently, it stings. But the church suffers from this lack of judgment. It suffers when we have no church discipline. If the law of Christ is to bear one another's burdens, we cannot shirk from that responsibility. Even in fear. Because if we do, we step away from the heart of Christ. Yes, it may mean a few bitten fingers from friends along the way. What is the cost of a finger if we have a brother or a sister restored to Christ? 
Is there anything or anyone closer than a friend that is willing to call you out in gentleness and in love and bear with you? However, Jesus does speak of one last scenario in this passage, that of a person that is not willing to accept your help or allowing you to pluck a speck of sin from their eyes. He calls them dogs and pigs. People that no matter how gentle or how on point your diagnosis of their sin may be, they will not hear it. All it does is enrage them. Now, I'm not speaking of small reactions of pride. Many years ago, I had the job of calling out a friend for inappropriate behaviour with his girlfriend. And it was unpleasant. And I was terrified when doing it. And as we spoke, his reaction was cold and it was hard and it was angry. But overnight, he calmed down. And the spirit was at work and he saw something of the truth and we came back together and shared together as friends. I do not believe this is what Jesus is talking about. He's speaking of a person that has no spirit in them. Someone who utterly rejects the word. I don't believe that is the uh, this, that was an action of a dog or a pig that Jesus is speaking about here. It's the dis- that was a description of someone wrestling with their sin. Jesus is speaking of someone utterly deaf, totally wild. No good word penetrates their minds. When we think about evangelism, often the fear people have of doing it is not having the right words to share but look here at this example of a precious pearl being given to the pig it doesn't matter how shiny it is how big it is how valuable that pearl is if they are a pig you understand you could craft the perfect sentence You could be vulnerable to the point where there is nothing left of your soul and the love of Christ left to show them. You could even perform a miracle in front of them. But a pig doesn't care. It only cares enough to grow angry. Look at how many people rejected the Saviour. How many people rejected the apostles as they preached Words that would shape the church, the church and the history of the world. And they rejected them. They performed miracles in front of them. And while many people came to believe, there were still dogs and pigs, people that refused and grew angry. People deaf, totally deaf to Christ. And it's hard to believe these words in a way. Jesus instructing the church not to bother wasting their time on people like this. 
but it doesn't mean there isn't love for these people. Nor does it mean there isn't grief at their loss, but continuing to seek to restore them will only cause you harm. There is nothing to be gained. But where someone is willing to listen, there you will see the power of Christ working through his church, bearing witness to his name and sharing in what it means to fulfill the law of Christ to other people. So continue on, seeking to judge your brothers and sisters according to the word of God, examining yourself in the light of the gospel, finding freedom together in Christ and bearing one another's burden for the sake of restoring one another to him. And in this way, we do fulfill his heart, the heart of our Lord Jesus to one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray this morning for those here, Father, that have felt the sting of judgment in the past. Not always such a small thing as how food is dealt with, but sometimes, Lord, judgments that cut to the bone. Lord, things that lead to separation and loss that have so much grief mixed up in them and time, Lord, that it is hard for these things to to be untangled. Father, we pray that you would be present with these people. Lord, that they would know your restoration, your peace. That they would know forgiveness in their own dealings, Lord, and the forgiveness for others. And be restored. Father, we pray that we would be also a church that, Lord, was close to your heart. willing to live alongside one another to the point where we would be brave to say in all gentleness, Lord, in all humility, brother or sister, have you, have you stepped away in this place, in this thing, and to call one another back to you? Father, I pray for us who may be afraid, afraid of being hurt or causing hurt. All we can do is be obedient and trust that you will be at work in these places. 
Lord, that your love will be enough. And it will. Maybe, Lord, not for all people to come to you because you don't... You don't seem to request that. But, Father, enough for us to be able to love in the face of our own bearing of other people's sin and burdens. Help us to be like you, Lord Jesus. To bear one another. To desire one another's well-being in your presence more than we even desire our own. And may your word and your law be rich on our hearts as we look at one another. Help us to be able to see where we are misjudging where we are preferring our own personal preferences and decisions of the conscience rather than your law and to be gentle, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.